Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Nothing like a scary introduction to Christmas, huh? Well, hey, good morning to you. It's so good to see you this morning. Julie, at first, thanks for, for being here today. Uh, we are in the start of a new series. If you're new, this is a good time to come. Uh, also, for those of you who aren't know, new, this is a good time to invite new people to come. In fact, if you don't know this or you didn't know this, Christmas, people are more likely to come to a Christmas service than any other time of the year. We think Easter is the big time. Well, Christmas is actually the big time. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about overcoming offenses. We're going to talk about shame. We're going to talk about labels. Uh, It's going to be a really, really good time. So I would just say this, invite, invite, invite. You have a family member, you have a coworker, you have a friend that needs to be here. Invite them this morning. If you didn't notice, it is Christmas season, by the way. Uh, This morning, my son was walking about the house with a snow globe in his hand with a song that says, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And he was playing it over and over and over and over and over and over. And I'm getting ready and I'm thinking this song is really annoying. And it reminded me of the scene that I'd watched just the night before in It's a Wonderful Life when George Bailey walks in and his daughter's playing on the piano. And he says, would you quit playing that stupid song? You know, and... um, I looked at Janelle and jokingly I said, why do we have to have all these kids anyway? Yeah, that's my favorite line of It's a Wonderful Life. But um, maybe that's how you feel about Christmas, right? Maybe for you, Christmas is not a good time. And here's what Christmas season does for us, right? It enhances the good, it makes everything better, and it makes those little things that we experience throughout the year, those little things that just kind of nitpick at us, they become magnified and they become extremely painful. And here's the truth for many of us. During Christmas time, it is the pain of our past and it is our insecurities that rob us of the joy that Christmas wants to give us. Right? It is the pain of our past. It's the pain of your past. It's our insecurities that overshadow and rob us of the joy that we are supposed to experience during the Christmas season, which is all about the coming of Christ. And maybe for you, maybe for you, this season that's supposed to be wonderful isn't so wonderful because the ghost of your past keep showing up. And so this morning, this morning, it is our goal, and over this series of the Ghosts of Christmas Past, it is our hope that you would begin to experience healing, healing from some of the things in your past that seem to bother you. So would you pray for me before we begin? Lord, we do give thanks for this day, for this time of worship, opportunity to sing and to bring you glory. We pray that you would be in this time of teaching this morning. May these be your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever been offended in life? We all should raise our hand. How many of you know people who are easily offended in life? Right, in fact, they would be offended that the fact that you're raising your hand right now. Uh, how many of you are those people who are easily offended? 
right? Okay, we've, uh, thank you for admitting that this morning. All of us have been offended to some degree, and I was reminded this week, um, I was thinking about to when I lived in Topeka, and I had this, this vehicle, it was a Nissan Xterra. Long story short, uh, I bought a Jeep when I got deployed, came back, got hit by a drunk driver in Kansas City. That was a good time. Um, I bought this Nissan Xterra at the last minute. I was in a pinch for my job, needed it. Uh, drove it for seven years, I think. Drove it a long time. It was a great vehicle, but it came time where the expenses to fix it were more than what the vehicle was worth. You've, you've had this, you know this. And so uh, I decided that I would sell the vehicle and I sold the vehicle, no problem, it was great. But then you know the best part of shopping for a car or a vehicle. Uh, and we lived in Kansas and in Kansas we're a bunch of hillbillies. And so I really wanted a truck. And so I was like going hard in the paint when it came to finding a truck. I was on Auto Trader every night. I was, you know, Janelle hates it when I look for vehicles because it just like consumes me. Um, but I really wanted a truck, and I came across a Toyota Tundra Crew Max SR5, and some of you are like, don't even care. Um, and I know some of you are Chevy people, some of you are Ford people and Dodge people, I get that. Uh, but I'll just be honest, I've been in some of the cabs of those trucks, and those cabs do not compare to a Toyota Tundra truck. In fact, you could take the back seat, move it forward, and recline in the back, in the back. That's how big it was. You could recline in the back seat of a truck. And my dad, who was 6'5", could sit back there and have plenty of plenty of room. And I love the truck. And so I just made up my mind. I'm going to buy this truck. Now, what I didn't tell you is that I couldn't afford the truck. <laughs> uh, you've done this too, right? You've been in a place where you've wanted something so bad that you justified it. You said, okay, this year we'll just get rid of Netflix. We'll stop watching cable. Uh, I won't get Christmas presents for my kids anymore. Um, I'll just stop taking my wife on dates and buying her nice things. Not that I buy her nice things anyway, but I'll just do that. And then I can afford the vehicle that I want. And I did. I bought the truck. And it didn't take long for me to realize, maybe six months, that I couldn't afford this truck. And that's a terrible feeling. You know you have something you can't afford. And... I just told Janelle, like, uh, I thought this truck was the best, but it's just getting the best of me, and I think I need to sell it. And so I did. It was so hard. I put it on Craigslist, like, within a day. I got a phone call from a family who was like, we really love the truck. We want to see it. So we showed them the truck, and they loved it, and they said, well, we need to run some numbers. I'm like, man, we need to run some numbers, and we'll come back, and we'll let you know. Well, they call me the next day. They say, we want the truck. And um, they said, we would like to see it again. Here's the catch. Oh, boy, here we go. The truck costs so much, we need to get financing. But in order to get financing, we have to sell a car. And they said, would you be interested in buying the car that we need to sell in order to um, purchase your truck? And I said, well, what, what kind of car is it? And he said, well, it's a Honda Civic. And I'm like, I'll, I'll look at it. You know, sure. So we meet at this ice cream joint. I'm sitting in my military brown colored tundra when all of a sudden this Honda Civic pulls up and it is powder blue. It's not navy blue. It's not royal blue. It is powder blue. And I'm like, I look at Janelle. I said, nope, this isn't happening. <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, yep, this is happening. And... Um, so they got in my truck, and uh, we got in their car, and I drove this stupid Honda Civic around. And I'm like, this is so dumb. I can't even believe I'm thinking about this. And she said, you're not thinking about it. You're going to buy it. 
And that's what we did. I bought, I went from a Toyota Tundra to a Honda four-cylinder Civic that screamed on the highway, you know, and it was powder blue. And the worst part was that I had a massive beard and I loved wearing flannel and I looked like a major lumberjack. And so when I would pull up to lights, people would look over like, what is wrong with this guy? He looks like a stud, but he's driving a dud, you know? And uh, I'm thinking to myself, like, I just don't look over. Just don't look over. Here I am sitting in this powder blue Honda Civic. It was so embarrassing. And it didn't take people long to catch on that I had sold my truck. Now, there were people who complimented me on my car. It was usually females. Hey, I really like your car. That's nice. (laughs) And then there were the guys who reminded me that I had been stripped of my manhood and that I was driving a powder blue Honda, Honda Civic. And I'll be honest, I became offended because much of my identity was wrapped up in the Tundra that I used to drive. And now I'm driving this Civic and I was like, oh my goodness. I was embarrassed. And when people would make comments to me about the car, I would become offended. And it really wasn't that big of a deal at all. I mean, it really wasn't. But you and I know that we are easily offended. Right, you've had this experience in life where you've been easily offended. Maybe it's when you're taking your significant other on a date. You've had these people. You open the door for your lovely one, and there are people right behind you. And so you think, kind gesture, I'll open the door for them. You open the door for them, and they walk by you. And they don't say thank you. They don't look at you. They don't pretend like you exist. Now, this is where I tend to get a bit snarky, and I'm offended. And I'll say things like, hey, don't mention it. Or, you're welcome, and they don't even say thank you. And that doesn't really go over very well. But we become easily offended. Uh, You've had this. During the holidays, we all gain a few pounds. Now, people are quick to mention when you lose weight, but they're also, they don't mind letting you know that you've gained a few pounds. And I don't know about you, but that's offensive to me. When you say, Brad, you look like you've gained a few pounds. That bothers me. Or maybe you get offended when people don't listen to you. You've been talking to people, and you've been having a conversation, and they're looking past you. They, they look like they're looking at you, but you know they're not looking at you, and you get offended by this. I think social media is the easiest place to be offended, right? When, when you friend request somebody, and you know that they've received your friend request, and you know that you're being ignored, you get offended, Or maybe you think you have the most profound thought in history ever, and you post it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, and nobody likes your profound thought. And you're huffing and puffing around the house. Seriously, this was so good. Why did nobody like it? You get offended. Or maybe you've texted somebody, and it says underneath red, and it gives you the date and time, and then you see the bubbles pop up, and you know they're typing, and then they stop, and they don't respond to you for hours. And you're offended because you're like, Am I not good enough to continue this conversation? Or, or, I mean, you're just going to stop right there? And here's what I know. It's during this Christmas time that being offended, being easily offended, gets magnified. So many times in our life we are offended by things, and it gets magnified. And unfortunately, those offenses turn into grudges. And I I don't know about you, this is a hard statement for me to swallow, but this is the truth about grudges during Christmas time is that small people hold big grudges. It's, it's, really, it's really hard to, to, to swallow that, that, that small people hold big grudges. 
And so today, I want to talk this morning about overcoming offenses. That's, that's our main topic for today, is overcoming offenses. And this morning, before we even dive into our big story, we're going to look at a, an ancient poem or an ancient line written by a king who gave us some great wisdom. In fact, his, his kingship or his reign was defined by some of the most unprecedented peace in history. And so I would think that anybody knows how to reign peacefully would know how to give us information and wisdom about bringing peace in our lives and peace in our relationships. And so listen, and the, and the reason why I want to start here is because this is the launching point for the rest of the talk. It is the launching point, I promise, and you'll understand in a second. But listen to what this king says. He says, you're going to help me out here on the screen back there. He says, do we not have it? Oh, it is right there. I can't see. A person's wisdom. I should have worn my glasses today. A person's wisdom yields patience. A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's, hang on right here, it is to one's Glory. Now I want to stop just for one second because this is important. We think glory is this religious word that only refers to God. But what I like what the ancient writer is expressing is that glory refers to expensive clothing or expensive jewelry. In other words, lots of finery, lots of beautiful things. And so he's saying it is, it is to one's glory, it is to one's beauty. You begin to put on the best self. You put on the best you. When you, listen to what he says, overlook an offense. That you can become the best you, you can put on the best self, you can live a life of beauty when you overlook an offense. Now I know some of you are saying, you don't get it, Brad. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't understand. You just want me to overlook and forget everything that they've ever done. But what's interesting is when we begin to pick apart this word overlook, it translates to pass over, to pass over. Now, I, I was thinking, what does it mean to pass over? I had thoughts of sheep, like in my dreams, jumping over the moon. But immediately I thought of hurdles. I don't know why I thought of hurdles. It just made me think of hurdles. I hated hurdles in high school, never ran hurdles, but one race, did a terrible job. Um, but you're saying overlooking is like ignoring, and, and here's what I want to get at. When, when, you, when you are running hurdles, you have to do two things in order to do that. One, one, you have to acknowledge that the hurdle is in front of you. You can't ignore it. You just can't run through it. You have to acknowledge that it's in front of you. And the second thing is you have to acknowledge how high the hurdle is in order to get over it. And so that's what the writer is wanting to say to us this morning is that overlooking isn't ignoring, it's actually an acknowledgement of. Overlooking is not an ignoring, it's an acknowledgement of. And you're saying that's acknowledging that pain, that hurt, that past, that very thing, the very thing that has offended you, we have to acknowledge. But I love this idea of passing over. In fact, we use it in modern day language. We say, get over it. That's kind of what we want to say today is to get over it. Have you ever had somebody say, get over it to you? I actually get offended when people say that to me because when you say, get over it, it means like you don't care about my circumstance. You don't care about my problem. You just want me to get past whatever it is. You don't want me, it's almost like, don't acknowledge what has happened to you. Just get over it. And the writer wants to say to us today, the writer wants to say to us today, I love this. 
that you put on the best you. When somebody tells you to get over it, this is actually good advice because you become the best you. You become the better you when you, when you pass over the offense. In fact, Rene Descartes said this. I love this. This is a really good statement. He says, our lives are too short. Maybe I don't have that in there. Man, I'm struggling today here. Rene said this, whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high, so high, that the offense cannot reach me. I love that. In other words, when I've been offended, when I've been offended, I reach to another level. My soul moves to another level to bring glory, to put on the better me, to the point where the offense that has happened cannot reach me. And so here's what I want you to know today. I'm just giving it to you up front, and we're going to come back to it at the end. But this is what I want you to know. Our lives, our lives are too short, and our calling is too big for you to live offended. Our lives are too short, and your calling is too big for you to live offended. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, get over it. Get over it. Yeah, get over it. That's the mantra for today. So this morning we're going to look at a story written by a man named Luke. Many of you are familiar with Luke. Many of you know that Luke was a physician and he leaves his profession to research and search the life of Jesus. But if anybody understands being offended, it would be Luke. And the reason why Luke gets this is because Luke is not an insider to the Jewish culture and the Jewish community. He's an outsider. And so there were people who were basically saying, Luke, you're not on the end. You don't understand it. You don't get this whole Jesus thing. You're really not part of who we are. And so Luke could have been offended. He could have been offended by all the people who told him he couldn't do what he's about to do. He could have been offended. But instead, Luke overlooks what people are saying to him. Luke overlooks what people have said about him. And what we get, what we get is one of the best accounts of Jesus's life we've ever seen in history. In fact, this is kind of cool. People tend to relate Luke's account as though somebody is painting, painting with gold, silver, and beauty, and finery. So Luke could have said, you know what, people don't think I can do it. I'll just stop. I just won't write this account. But instead, he overlooked the offense of people telling him he couldn't do it. And he writes, he writes, a glorifying account, a beautiful account of Jesus's life. And so he shares, he shares this story with us today out of his own experience. And he says this, I love it. Levi, Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there. There was tax men, and I love this, other disreputable characters. I really wish they would just kind of flesh that out for a minute. Like who, who are the disreputable characters? So there were tax men and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religious scholars came to the disciples and they were, what? Greatly offended. They were greatly offended. And I love what they say. What is he doing? What is he doing eating and drinking with the crooks and sinners? What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Now, I love why the Pharisees are offended. See, they're upset because Jesus is doing what he is doing with people who are known by what they've done. 
You catch that? Jesus is doing what he's doing with people who are known by what they have done in life. And so what we get is people. We get the Pharisees who are making judgments upon others by their actions, not their intentions. And see, that's what's true about being easily offended in life, is that we judge others by their actions, but we judge us by our own intentions. Does that make sense? See, we think they don't have the best intentions for what they're doing. We just judge them by their actions. But rather, we think whenever we're doing something and it may be offending someone, we have the best intentions in mind. Perfect example, I went to Portillo's to get cake shakes. Yeah, I love cake shakes. I don't know about you, but if you haven't had one, you need to get one. And I remember this particular night, you know, you pull into Portillo's, they have two lanes. For some reason, everybody was going in one lane. And I, for the sake of helping the workers and sake of moving along the line, the other lane was open. And so I just pulled right in, went right up to the front, gave my order for cake shakes. And then, you know, when you come back around, they have the cone sitting there. I haven't figured this out. They have the cone sitting there where everybody has to take turns. And apparently it was my turn and I went to go and this lady like doesn't let me go. And I thought, well, that's, that's rude. And then she has the audacity to look at me and she stares at me like, you jerk. You think you're better than everybody else? You don't have to sit in the single line, even though there were two lanes. You think you're better than everyone? I'm not going to let you in front of me. In fact, I'm just going to go. And she was judging me by my actions, not my intentions. See, it was my intention that, that, that we would just move things along. There are two lanes. You're supposed to be going two lanes. Man, she gave me the stare down. I mean, she was glaring at me like, it was straight beast mode, and I was a bit nervous. I thought I was going to get beat up over a cake shake, which that happens. I've witnessed that, too, at Portillo's. Um, another story for another day. But we are easily offended. We are easily offended because we judge others by their actions and us by our intentions. In fact, you're, the, 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 the thing is this. You cannot be offended. No, and what you don't understand. You cannot be offended by what you don't know and what you don't understand. See, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know what you think you know. You should be judging others' actions as though they had your intentions in mind. You see, you don't know why that person didn't smile at you. You don't know why that person didn't friend you on Facebook. You don't know why they didn't invite you to that party or shake your hand or whatever it is. You don't know why. And the reason you don't know why is maybe there's something else going on that they didn't want you to know. And so I think for many of us, we need to just get over being easily offended. And we do that. By looking at others' actions as though they're doing it with our intentions in mind. Now, I know some of you are saying, but Brad, listen, life is not all about the small. There are big things that happen in life. In fact, you don't understand the person that hurt me. You don't get what it was like when that person walked out of me. You don't understand my family. You don't know what it's like when I have to sit across from them at the dinner Christmas table. And in fact, for some of us, we just don't even have dinner with some of those people during Christmas. And you're saying, you just don't know what it's like. And I want to say this, you're absolutely right. You have the right to be offended. You have the right to have a gripe about some of the people who have offended you. In fact, we look at the Pharisees and they actually have a right as well. 
Because there are people, there are people who have cheated them out of money. There are prostitutes that are gathered around the table. I mean, these are people by society standards that really had bad reputations. They did horrible things to people. They offended a lot of the people around them. And so they had the right to say, yes, yes, these people have offended us. And those are big offenses. I get it. There are some of you that have been abused. I know that we're going to get serious for a minute. There were some of you that have been abused. And it's hard to get over that. There are some of you who have had a spouse cheat on you, walk out on you, to say they want nothing to do with you anymore. And that, that right there is one of the hardest to get over. We've had, um, do I need to switch mics? Do I have the blue one? All right, blue one, here we go. Where was I? You've had, right? We've had people abused. We've had marital issues. We've had relationship issues. Some of you have friends who two years ago, you thought they were your best friend, and the next minute, they're not. Said something about you that wasn't true. You were fired, and you were offended by that. Or maybe, again, you have family members who have hurt you, who have said things to you that have been extremely bothersome, and you've been offended. You have the right to gripe. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. I want you to notice what Jesus says next after the Pharisees have come to him. And they said, you're hanging out with these disreputable people. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you eating with these people? Listen to what Jesus says next because they have the right to be offended. He says, he says, Jesus heard about it and he spoke up. I want you to notice that it says Jesus heard about it. In other words, Jesus says, I acknowledge I acknowledge that there are people sitting with me that are some of the worst people in life. They've taken money from people. They've beaten people. They've robbed people. They've killed people. They've, you name it, they've done it. I've heard about it. I get it. I know it. I see that you've been abused. I see that you've been hurt. I see that spouse that walked out. I see all of that. I see that friend that hurts you. But he says, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? And then he goes on to say one of the most profound statements. I am here inviting outsiders, not insiders. And then he says, an invitation to a changed life. This is an invitation to a changed life inside and out. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't sit there and, and rehash the past with them. He doesn't relive. He doesn't review. He doesn't go over and over and over all the things that these disreputable people did in their life. He doesn't rehearse it. Rather, he releases them to the future that God has for them. He stops rehearsing and he starts giving them freedom. He starts releasing them to a new future. And here's what's true about us. Here's what's true about you and me. We spend so much time rehearsing. We play at night when we lay down in our beds. We rehearse, we rehearse that person that abused us. We remember that night. We rehearse. We rehearse when we caught our spouse. 
We rehearse when that friend decided that they were going to backstab us. We rehearse that time when our boss stood in our face and said, you can't do it, and here's why, and you're fired. We rehearse when our loved ones, our family, said some of the most hurtful things we've ever experienced in life. And can I just say to you that for some of you, your rehearsal becomes an excuse. Your rehearsal becomes an excuse for why you're so angry in life. And you think you have the right to be mad, and you do. But the reason why people don't want to be around you, the, people, the reason why people don't want to be with you, is because you've spent so much time rehearsing the past, the ghost of your past, that you have not been released to a new future. And so it's twofold. God comes and he says to you, stop rehearsing and start releasing. And it begins with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Remember, it's an acknowledgement of, but forgiveness is what gives us freedom. Some of you, some of us, including myself, spend too much enough time releasing. I also think it's true for our lives in general that God does not rehearse your past. He does not rehearse what you've done in your life. Rather, he's releasing you to what he says, to a changed life. To a changed life. And so many of us want a life that has changed. So many of us want a life that is filled with purpose and meaning. So many of us life, want to live a life, as we said in the very beginning, that's filled with glory. That we put on the best clothes. We have the finest jewelry. We're the most beautiful people that we can be. We want to live that life. But we never feel released. And it's because you're still rehearsing the past. And God says, you're forgiven. You are released to a new and better future. So, here's what I want you to know. Our lives are too short. And our calling is too big to live offended. It is my hope this Christmas that you will begin to see the purpose that God has in your life. There is a reason why you are where you are. In fact, God has strategically placed you where you are for a specific reason. He has gifted you. He has granted you. He has given you purpose in life in the place where you live, where you work and how you parent and how you teach and how you coach. And so I want to ask you this question. Here's the next step for you. I want to ask you this question. Who's the one? Who's the one in your life? See, I, I get it. If I, were, if I were sitting where you're sitting and I'm, I'm listening... Or, or not listening, uh, if I'm listening, I'm thinking about that one person that, that we've been talking about the whole time, that very person that has offended you, that family member, that friend, that coworker, that spouse, that has deeply, deeply pained you. Who's the one for you? And here's the next step for you. You can continue rehearsing or you can start releasing. 
And releasing for you may mean multiple, multiple avenues. It may mean sitting down one day, grabbing a cup of tea or, or whatever your choice of drink is and sitting down and writing them a note. And it starts by saying, you've hurt me. You've done this. But no longer will I live in bondage to the pain that you've caused. I'm releasing you. I'm releasing me to a better purpose and a better future. Write a note this week. If you're really gutsy, you'll call them and you'll say, you know what, I've got something to talk about. Would you mind going out and grabbing a cup of coffee with me? Would you, would you like to go out to dinner this week? Nothing opens the heart like a warm meal. Who's the one? Take them out for dinner. Write them a letter or even do something more audacious than that. Send them a gift. Right, Christmas season is the time for giving, but we only give to the people we actually like and love. What if we were to give to people we actually hated and despised? That would be so hard. And I don't know what that gift is. But until we take that next step of acknowledging the one, until we take the next step of releasing them and releasing you, you will not have a better future. You will constantly be haunted by the ghost of your Christmas past. And don't you want to be healed from that? I know I do. And that's why we're doing this series. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, it is such a struggle to acknowledge pain in our lives. It is so difficult to stand face to face to the people that have hurt us the most. And so I pray this, this week that we would practice getting over it. That we would begin to overlook and overpass and, and get over the very offenses that really aren't that big, but also the ones that are big. I pray that you would give us new eyes to begin to view others, not by their actions, but as though they had our intentions in mind. And I pray that we would release, not rehearse, but release others to a new future. May we be audacious and may we be bold this week. May we live into the Christ-likeness, into the, 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 the cross-shaped life that you've lived for us. May we live into that this week by facing our enemies. You even tell us in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table in the presence of the very people that we hate the most, that we don't like and we despise and we can't stand, the ones who have hurt us the most. You prepare a meal and a table for us in their presence. And so I pray that we would practice that very thing this week through a note, through a card, through a meal, through a cup of coffee, through a gift that we would take a next step in becoming more like you. And it's only when we do that, we acknowledge that we live into the glory. We are clothed in your beauty when we overlook an offense. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.